Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today's guest is Phil Graves. This episode is about selling cars, teaching at a Christian school, going to grad school, and moving to Taiwan. Now here's your host, Mark Weinstein. Thank you, Sarah, for the introduction, and hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. I'm Mark Weinstein, and I'm really looking forward to my conversation today with Phil Graves on the program. I first learned of Phil and Christy Graves' story several months ago as I've researched their journey through adoption. It became clear to me that I needed to have at least one of them on the podcast. Today, it'll be Phil because their recently adopted daughter, Brizzy, is homesick. So I think you're really going to enjoy hearing the story from Phil's perspective today on the podcast. Phil is currently a bivocational pastor at First Baptist Church in Brunswick, Maryland. Phil is a graduate of Cedarville University, and they are the parents of five children. We'll talk a lot about adoption on today's program, but for now, let me welcome for the first time Phil Graves to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Welcome, Phil. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you, Mark. It's great to be talking to you today. So before we get to the heart of today's program, which is on adoption, I'm interested in hearing how Phil and Christy met, because I know Phil is a graduate, Christy's not. So where did your paths cross? And, and tell me that story. Sure. So God called me to be the youth pastor at a church here in Maryland. I was living in Washington State. Long story short, as I was growing up, my mom and my pastor, I mean, my mom and my pastor both told me they thought God was calling me into the ministry and I didn't want to do it. <laughs> uh, it took God taking me to Taiwan to be a teacher at a Christian school to get my attention. I moved here in 2001 to be the youth pastor at Faith Baptist Church in Knoxville, Maryland, and uh, Christy was teaching senior high Sunday school. And so um, just God brought us together over the first like 18 months that I was there. We started dating on August 26th of 2002. We got engaged nine days later. Uh, it just, God made it clear that, that she was the one we were, that I was supposed to marry. And uh, we got married seven months later, and on the 12th of the month of April, we will be celebrating 20 years of marriage. I know you graduated from Cedarville back in 1995 with a degree in history. So how does a history, how does a person with a degree in history become a pastor? How did the Lord lead you to church ministry? Uh, around Grandma's barn, for sure. Um, <laughs> when I graduated... I was actually living in Dayton selling cars and then moved back to Washington State and uh, was selling cars and uh, wasn't finding that fulfilling in any sense. And so I started teaching at a Christian school in my hometown and I was there for a year and then decided I needed some more education. So I went back to grad school. I went to Seattle Pacific University okay. in uh, Seattle. Spent a few years there, and then God called me to Taiwan, and that's where, and, and that's where I got the call for sure. But uh, while I was in grad school, I was also volunteering at my home school. I mean, my home church. Sorry, yeah, yeah. at my home home church as a senior high youth leader. Okay, and uh, just really developed a love for student ministry. Had a great mentor in the youth pastor, who's actually now the senior pastor of that church, and has been for some time. And uh, just really felt God calling me into student ministry. And so, uh, look, you know, I did that one-year internship and then came here to Maryland, spent five years as a youth minister, 
had a rough time and uh, actually got out of youth ministry and was doing uh, ministry with our Association of Southern Baptist Churches, helping churches with uh, web and graphic design and technology. And then uh, in 2000, and I was going to a church and serving in the creative arts ministries. And then in 2011, God called me very clearly to be the pastor of First Baptist Church of Brunswick. Their previous pastor had left suddenly, and uh, I was I would do pulpit supply from time to time. Okay. And uh, when I was there preaching the first time, I just felt this impression from God, this is where I want you. And over a period of months, uh, through talking to my wife and other people who I trust, uh, it was clear that God was calling me there. So I was uh, called to be their pastor the Sunday after Thanksgiving, November of 2011, and I've been there ever since. Oh. And that, and you haven't looked back. You're, but as I looked at your LinkedIn account, just to prepare for today's program, uh, I also saw that you have several side jobs through your own All Saints Media business. What kind of work do you do through All Saints Media? So I build websites for churches, nonprofits, small businesses, lots of different areas. Uh, I do graphic design. And then I also uh, do contractual work for our local association of churches, helping them. And I help our state convention manage their web projects. And then I also own a um, local news website. Uh, Our local newspaper went out of business because of COVID. And so some friends and I got together and started a online paper so that we could keep up with what was going on here locally. Uh, they stepped away, and I have kind of lost some momentum there just with bringing Brizzy into our family. Yeah. And so that's on my list of things to get caught back up on. But uh, I certainly like to keep myself busy, that's for sure. So that leads me to this question. So obviously you're busy when you, you have at least two full-time jobs, maybe three. What's the percentage breakdown? So how much time a week do you spend in the church ministry compared to your side business? Well, uh, anybody in ministry knows that it, it ranges from week to week. Uh, I have an age, some of the folks in my uh, congregation are aging. So some weeks I'll spend a lot of time going to hospitals and visiting people. We're actually going through a really good growth spurt right now. And so if I wanted to, I could be at church just about every night of the week. I'd probably say I average about 25 to 30 hours a week doing church stuff and then probably another 40 doing um, my web and graphic design business. Um, Spend a lot of time. uh, Both our little girls that we adopted have special needs, so I spend a lot of time at therapy as well. But the good news about having a my own business with web and graphic design is I can work from anywhere. Right. And so whatever I, ha- whatever the next thing to do is, that's what I do wherever I am doing whatever else I'm doing. So you're putting in a lot so, of, you're putting in a lot of time. How do you, how do you manage uh, work life uh, balance? I don't know. Uh, just <laughs> other than it's a God thing. Yeah. Um, I try to prioritize spending time with my wife and kids when I have the opportunity. So a lot of times a typical day, uh, I'll get up, get the kids ready to go on the bus. The little girls go on the bus, and they leave at 8.30. Then I'll work until about 4, 4.15, and then get them off the bus, and then I'll make dinner. 
and then we'll go to therapy or we'll go to the YMCA. Uh, they have a um, playroom there so that the girls the girls love to go play in there. Yeah. And we'll work out, play racquetball with my son or um, go in the whirlpool or this pool with my wife and my one of my sons. And then when we get home, everybody goes to bed. And uh, then I'll come back in my office and work for a few more hours trying to get church stuff done, you know, my sermon prep or right. other work done. I just fit it in where I can. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you're doing it pretty well, too. Let's transition on this podcast to really the heart of the of the program, which is adoption. As I said, you're a father of five. Two are adopted, and they're international children. When did you first get the idea that adopting international children was something that you were called to do? Well, my wife and I, when we first got married, talked about adoption. We both just had a heart for adopting kids. Then we uh, had our first daughter, Kara, in 2004, and we were talking about potentially adopting through foster program. Okay. So we went to our local foster care, you know, our, our local uh, county foster care program, and we took the introductory class, mm-hmm. and we realized that there's a lot of drama and disruption with foster care, and so we decided we would wait to do that until after our... Uh, biological children were a little older, so it wasn't so hard on us. And then we just really didn't think about it. We just got busy raising our kids. Uh, Our daughter, Kara, was born in 2004. Our son, Ethan, was born in 2006. Our son, Owen, was born in 2010. And uh, in 2015, Christy came to me and said, you know, we talked about adopting when we first got married. If we're going to do that, we should do it soon because we're not getting any younger. Um, We had some friends who had adopted two little boys with Down syndrome from Ukraine, and they were talking to us about adopting kids with special needs internationally, and we were very interested. And they had found their boys on a website called Reese's Rainbow. Okay. Uh, The woman who started that website uh, had a son uh, biologically who had Down syndrome, and she struggled so much to get him services that she, that God put it on her heart that if you're struggling so hard, imagine how much people in other countries struggle to get their kids taken care of. And she discovered that most children in like Eastern European countries, specifically Ukraine, just gave the kids up for adoption, and they were shuffled off to um, orphanages. And then when they got to be 13, they were sent to adult mental institutions institutions where they were often beaten and killed by the older patients there. Yeah. And so she started this ministry called Reese's Rainbow that that uh, focuses on the international adoption of kids with special needs, specifically Down syndrome. But as the ministry got going, uh, they branched out into other special needs like spina bifida, blindness, kids with HIV, c- cerebral palsy, you know, basically, if it was a kid with a special need, yeah. they would list them, and then they would show pictures and tell about their diagnosis, and then you could raise, you could set up what they call a family sponsorship program with them, um, which is basically because they're a nonprofit, uh, people can give money towards your adoption and have it be a tax deduction, and so then once you get to the point where you're ready to travel, that money that you've raised. Uh, becomes available to you to spend on your adoption costs. Okay, so 
you fell into, or the Lord led you into international adoption with children with special needs. So back in, yeah. back in 2017, you adopted Eliana from Armenia. And yes. so, so she, she was your fourth child. So what motivated you to adopt Bridget, who you call Brizzy? We weren't, sh- we weren't sure about adopting Eliana because she had uh, spina bifida and that's a, a lot because it's a wheelchair and she can't walk. And so we had a friend who grew up, uh, who went to church with us, whose son had spina bifida and we called her and uh, asked her about raising a child with spina bifida. Actually, if I back up, when we were looking on Reese's Rainbow, we found a girl who we were interested in who had anal atresia. Basically, uh, her um, bowel wasn't connected to her anus. Mm. And uh, we actually started the process to adopt her. And when we inquired about her, we were sent her diagnosis and a bunch of pictures. And in several of the pictures, uh, Eliana was also in the picture. And I thought, oh, maybe God is calling us to adopt both girls. And I inquired. And uh, while we were trying to figure out what the cost would be to get both girls, uh, an Italian couple came and adopted the girl we were first interested in. And so then we weren't sure what we were going to do. And my wife wasn't sure if she could um, handle a kid in a wheelchair. So then we called this lady from our church who had a son with spina bifida. And she talked to us for about an hour and a half. And uh, just made us way more comfortable. And so we proceeded to adopt Eliana from Armenia. And uh, Eliana's just been a blessing to our family, but she's a lot. I mean, you, you know, when your, our other kids were little, it was, when our other kids were little, it was taking them to baseball practice and soccer and right. dance. Yeah. And uh, with Eliana, it's doctor's appointments, surgeries, and therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy. And it was a lot of work. And Christy and I had both agreed that we were done. By 2018, you know, four is enough. We're happy with four. And then in January of 2021, I was taking a shower, getting ready to go to church. And Christy came in the bathroom and said, I think God wants us to adopt another child. (laughs) And I said, what? Yeah, I must have misheard her because. Uh, so I got out of the shower and I said, what are you talking about? And she said, I just really feel impressed by God that he wants us to adopt another child. And in retrospect, she just wanted me to say, no, we're not doing it. And she would have given it up. But several years ago, I made a deal with God that anytime he opened a door or spoke to me or told me he was calling me to do something, I would move forward. And so much to her chagrin, I was like, okay, well, let's talk about it. Well, she had been looking on the Reese's Rainbow Facebook Facebook page and seen the listing for Brizzy. Uh, there was a family who had stepped forward to adopt her, but then through some uh, personal things in their family, they had to stop the process. And she's like, I really feel like God wants us to adopt this girl. So I looked at the listing and I said, all right, let's move forward. But when we adopted Eliana, we had borrowed $10,000 against my wife's um, retirement account. Okay. And we'd had to do so many fundraisers. I'm like, if God wants us to do this, I don't want to borrow money and I don't want to have to fundraise like we did for Eliana. And uh, so we talked to our friends and our family and uh, within 10 days had $10,000 to start the adoption process. And like I could go through and tell you story after story after story of people who just blessed us and 
Remember the woman that I told you about whose son had spina bifida? Yeah. Um, and talk to us about Eliana. Yeah. Well, he is actually a world-class wheelchair racer, and he donated $1,000 for us to adopt uh, Eliana. And while we were in the process of adopting Brizzy, he won the 400-meter wheelchair race at the Tokyo Olympics and then donated $3,000 towards our adoption of Brizzy and broke a world record. So you can't say that God doesn't provide in God's way. Right. Another friend from high school uh, during COVID, he was uh, doing what he called a quarantine coffee, yeah. where he would have a Zoom meeting every other day. And while I was working, I would pop on and just, you know, chit chat. And um, his mother uh, sold had sold her house and moved to California to live uh, with him and his wife because they had just had a baby and they needed the help. And she took $10,000 of the proceeds from the sale of her house and donated it to us for our adoption of Brizzy. Wow. Those are great stories. It's, it's, it's really fun to just to see how the Lord does intervene and, and move people um, as he wants them. And uh, that's just a great story because the adoption process, I've never experienced it, humanly speaking, yeah. but it, it seems like it's a daunting task and it takes a lot of time. And that, that kind of leads me toward your adoption with Brizzy, um, Phil, because um, you adopted her from Ukraine and everything was going fairly well, I, I believe, with her adoption. And then the war took place in Ukraine and everything stopped. Yeah. Talk, talk about the process of, of getting Brizzy. And then ultimately, because it, it took after you were working on the papers, it took you even longer to get Brizzy. Talk us about that story. Uh, one of the things that's terrible about adoption is just the amount of paperwork that it costs and amount of money that it costs. Yeah. And uh, it took us 16 months from the time we started to get Eliana until we actually had her home. And uh, when we went to adopt Brizzy, I was like, oh, I hate the waiting part. And Ukraine is unusually fast. It's usually like nine to 12 months from the time you start to the time you finish. And so I was encouraged by that. And uh, with our biological children, Christy did all the, the work of carrying the children and delivering the children. So with uh, Eliana and Brizzy, I did the I carried the paper baby, meaning I did all the paperwork and running yeah. around and raising the money and getting it all yeah. put together. And uh, so we started the process to get Brizzy, as I said, in January of 2021. And we were invited to come and meet her for the first time in December of 2021. And we were supposed to go back in January to get her. So in December, we flew over. Uh, we had to go to Kiev to do the paperwork where you get the permission to go meet the child at their orphanage. And then we flew from Kiev down to Zaporizhia, where she was uh, in the orphanage. And uh, we met her and then uh, spent a couple days there. Then we took a train back to Kiev and basically got off the train and went to the airport and flew home. It was a really fast trip. And we didn't really get to see much of Ukraine. And we were like, well, when we go back to Getter, we'll spend a few weeks there because it takes a few weeks to get all the paperwork done. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, back then the Russians were doing military drills and in, in uh, 
Belarus and on the border and everybody we talked to was like, do we need to worry about a Russian invasion? Oh, no, the Russians are just saber rattling. Don't worry about it. So we were supposed to go back at the end of January to get her. But uh, our judge ended up getting COVID. And so we were told we were going to have to wait. And then we heard a February 10th date, but the judge still had COVID. And there was questions about her citizenship, which is a whole other story we could get into if you want to. But we were supposed to hear on February 25th what the new date was. And then the Russians invaded and started the war on the 24th. Now, I don't know if you know, but in 2012, Russia decided that they weren't going to allow Americans to adopt kids from Russia anymore. And that stopped a whole bunch of people who were actually in process of adopting kids from Russia. Like they're still waiting and praying. You know, here we are almost uh, 11 years later, still nothing from Russia. And I was worried that if the Russians went in and took over Ukraine, our adoption would be over or on hold permanently. Yeah. And so uh, we just started praying and we had a prayer vigil at our church. Right. Friends were praying, uh, co-workers were praying, other churches were praying, friends online were praying, and all our adoption community friends were praying. We just waited and waited. And uh, in April, uh, my wife took um, her mother and our daughter, Kara, to California on a trip for my daughter's spring break as a graduation present because she was graduating last spring. Okay. And while she was gone, I got a call saying that the judge had decided if we were willing to come to the country, to Zapsphoresia, that they would let us have court and bring her home. Oh, great. And so I called Christy. Like, I didn't even think about, oh, is it worth it? Is it safe? I just called Christy and told her the offer. And she said, when can we go? So she got home on a Sunday night and we left Tuesday morning to fly. Now, we couldn't fly to Ukraine because of the war. Right. So we flew to Warsaw, Poland and drove from the airport in Warsaw to the border of Ukraine. We had to hitchhike across the border in a Red Cross van. And then once we got into Ukraine, our adoption facilitator who's in country picked us up and drove us to Kiev. We had some dinner and then went to the store and then went to his apartment to freshen up before we went and got on a night train to go to Keith to uh, where her where the court was. And on the way out, we heard this loud um, rumbling. And when we came out of the building, uh, an apartment complex about a half a kilometer away from where we were had been hit by two missiles. Wow. So, uh, Phil, so Phil, as you were, as all this was unfolding and you're you're there, how how devastated was you is Ukraine? How devastated is Ukraine from the war? Oh, so um, we so the war started early February. I mean, late February, and we were there in late April. And on our way from the Ukrainian Poland border to Kiev, yeah, the closer you got to Kiev, the worse things got because at the first part of the war, the Russians were trying to get to Kiev, and uh, so there were blown up buildings, blown up gas stations, big hole potholes in the road. We actually stopped at this uh, restaurant that had been completely destroyed. There were blown up tanks along the side of the road. Yeah. There was actually a Mary Kay factory. I didn't know Mary Kay had a factory in Ukraine, but uh, there was a Mary Kay factory that had been hit. Uh, there was a bridge over a river uh, headed into Kiev that we actually had to 
go down and uh, across a um, temporary bridge because the bridge had been taken out. Wow. So, yeah, it was crazy, so, the devastation. To think that people had been there fighting just a few weeks before. Right. And, I mean, that whole picture, in my mind, Phil, uh, it, it also parallels the, the, the difficulty this adoption had been for you leading up to that that, that moment. and But um, the Lord uh, allowed you to see it and t- to go forward. I want to go back to something you said a little bit ago about um, – the citizenship of Brizzy. So she had dual citizen, but not because of you. Can you tell us that story briefly? Well, she had no citizenship, basically. Her biological parents were um, Americans right. who had uh, hired a company in Ukraine to uh, find a surrogate. Uh, the surrogate was implanted with three embryos. All three were viable. They were they removed one. They killed one early in the pregnancy, mm. and then the other two were left to germinate, I guess, or grow. Grow, right? Uh, and then at 25 weeks, the surrogate had uh, some difficulties and had to deliver uh, the babies. Brizzy and her brother Vasily, he died after six days, and Brizzy was pro. Uh, they thought she might be profoundly disabled if she survived. Yeah, and so. They put her in the hospital on, um, you know, life-saving measures. And her American parents, from what I'm told, said to just not do anything to save her, just let her pass in peace. And then she didn't die. And a nurse named Marina took a very, very much interest in her and started caring for her. And when it looked like she was going to survive and be relatively okay, she has cerebral palsy, Um, they reached back out to the parents who had subsequently tried another surrogacy and had gotten twin boys out of that surrogacy. And so they were overwhelmed and didn't feel like they could handle uh, having a special needs child and the new babies that they'd gotten. So they, under advice from other people, put her up for adoption. So... They signed away their parental rights, and because they never brought her to the United States, she wasn't American. Okay. And because she had been born to Americans and the surrogate couldn't adopt her, she wasn't Ukrainian. Wow. And so when we got there to adopt her, we didn't know she that the process for her to become Ukrainian hadn't been completed. Mm-hmm. And so that was a holdup, too. We were waiting for the Ukrainian citizenship to be finished. And we never heard whether it was or not because that paperwork was on someone's desk when the Russians invaded. Yeah. And so when we left from Kiev to Zaporizhia and went to court, we got the adoption paperwork all finalized and we took it with us. Uh, we got on a train, met Marina, who had been visiting Brizzy the whole time while she was in the hospital and then also in the orphanage. And Marina came back with us to Kiev. Brizzy had been moved from Zaporizhia to Lviv about three weeks before we got there uh, with the rest of the kids from her orphanage. Uh, we went uh, on the train overnight, and in the morning in Kiev, we went and got some paperwork done. And then we headed to Lviv to the orphanage where we went and picked her up and signed her out. Um, we spent the night at a hotel, and then the next morning we got up and got on a bus that was going to take us back to Warsaw in Poland, where we were going to do the rest of the adoption paperwork. Okay. 
And because of the war, the Polish, the, the Poles were letting Ukrainians come into Poland without their passports because many of them fled without being able to get their passports. And that was a, so and, and, that, and that was a blessing because um, Brizzy didn't have a passport, right? Right. I'm not even sure if she's a Ukrainian citizen or not. Wow. So we got her out on her adoption paperwork and then went to Warsaw, where we took all her adoption paperwork to the U.S. Embassy, and they processed everything and were able to give us what's called a DS-232, okay. which is an emergency visa which allows allowed her into the United States. It's basically usually for um, people who flee their country without being able to get their passport. Yeah. Or if they're from a country that we don't formally recognize. When we got her into the United States, because of all the adoption paperwork we'd done before we left, we she became an American citizen as soon as she landed on U.S. soil. So as we move toward the end of the program, uh, Phil, what are some lessons that you and Christy have learned from adopting Eliana and Brizzy? So many. First, let me say, people will say, oh, you're so heroic for rescuing those girls. We are not heroes. We are just like every other person. Yeah. Uh, God called us to do something. He equipped us to do it. He provided for us. If you want to call us anything, it's obedient. You know, God would rather have us obey him than to make sacrifices that. And it's both. It's obedience and sacrifice. But every step of the way with both girls, God provided all our needs according to his riches and glory. Uh, when we needed airline tickets, a friend of mine from high school who I don't talk to, you know, we're not best friends or anything, messaged me and said, hey, I love adoption. Let me cover your airfare. And she did that for both trips, both adoptions. Yeah. Thousands and thousands of dollars that we didn't have to pay because she cared about adoption. Yeah. I have a friend who's a drummer who sold a drum set to give us money for our adoption. Basically, when you when God calls you to adopt, you adapt. Mm. And like I said, what used to be sports practices and dance dance lessons <laughs> is now therapy and doctor's appointments. It just becomes your new normal. And uh, if God can accept me and adopt me into his family with my sin and my disabilities, then I can certainly follow his example and, uh, and adopt children who need hope and need love and need a family because every kid deserves a family. Yeah. The Bible tells us that children are a blessing from the Lord. Yeah. And even with their, you know, with their disabilities, they are still worthy and valuable and God loves them. Yeah. And your story, Phil, as I read it and as I'm now listening to you is so inspiring and, and encouraging and, there are so many parallels from your story and just the story of adoption that we were adopted into God's family that can go on and on. I'm curious, though, as we wrap up, so you have three biological children. How, how has the family dynamics meshed uh, with your biological children and the two adopted uh, kids? Uh, so when... We first told our kids that we were looking to adopt Eliana. The first thing they all did is said, um, what can we do to help? And all our kids went to their piggy banks and we told them it was gonna be expensive. They went to their piggy banks and brought them to us. Uh, they helped us fundraise when we sold t-shirts, when we did paint nights, when we uh, 
whatever we did, they were right there to help. Uh, our oldest daughter, uh, our oldest daughter, Kara, um, went to therapy with Eliana several times. And she was like, this is what I want to do with my life. And so she's now uh, just finishing up her freshman year at Messiah University in uh, Pennsylvania um, to become an occupational therapist. Okay. And uh, I, her brother, their girls' brothers love them so much. Yeah. Um, they they have just folded into our family like uh, like uh, butter on hot bread. Just it's just, just natural. Like you don't know that they're. If if it wasn't for the fact that they don't look just like us, you'd never know they weren't our biological children. Yeah, yeah. So, how are Bridget and Eliana adapting to American culture? Well, Eliana's been here six years, so there's no accent. Uh, you'd think she'd lived in the United States her whole life. Uh, and Brizzy is doing amazing. Uh, when we got her, she was she had clubbed feet and couldn't walk. Yeah. Last August, she had surgery, and she's been in therapy learning to walk. She's got a um, gait trainer, which basically is like a um, walker mm -hmm. that goes behind her with handles. And she's like practically running in that thing. <laughs> uh, so she, we're still working on balance without the gait trainer. But um, her English has uh, evolved to two or three word sentences, and she understands pretty much everything we say. And we can understand pretty much everything she says. Sometimes we have to uh, ask her again. Yeah. But um, they're just doing amazing. They're very resilient children, and uh, I'm so excited to be their dad. That's exciting to hear. And just listening to your story is inspiring. Again, it's in inspiring, it's encouraging. And uh, I'm sure those who listen to today's podcast uh, feel the same. Um, Phil, our time is up, but I, I want to thank you for sharing your story with us today. Uh, anytime you're on campus here at Cedarville University, stop by. I'd love to meet you personally and meet your family. Uh, maybe some of your children can even come to Cedarville to uh, pursue a degree down the road. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> Hey, Phil, thanks again for joining me this week on the Cedarville Stories Podcast. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much, Mark. Have a blessed week. You too. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories Podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by today's episode, share it with a friend. Please rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And connect with us at Cedarville on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another inspiring Cedarville story for God's glory.